welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase, Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh Sequetum territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequetum Ulu. And today's text, The Edge of Seventeen, is set in a fictional town in Washington State. Uh, we think <laughs> near the Cayuse, Umatilla, Walla Walla, and Palouse traditional territories. Joe. Mm-hmm. We are back to movies about being 17. <laughs> <laughs> we are indeed. It's our month of 17s. <laughs> and um, it's a very different 17. A very, very different 17. Yeah. 17 again was about what it's like to go back to high school when 17 was the very best year of your life. Mm-hmm. And the edge of 17 is what most of us feel being 17 was like. I'm pretty yes. sure. <laughs> yes, correct. Hey, busy. I don't want to take up a ton of your time, but I'm going to kill myself. I just thought that an adult should know. Wow. Well, actually, I was writing my own suicide note just now. I have 32 fleeting minutes of happiness during lunch, which has been eaten up again and again by the same especially badly dressed student. And I finally thought I would rather have the dark nothingness. There are two types of people in the world. The people who naturally excel at life. Golden boy, what's up? And the people who hope all those people die in a big explosion. Look at that stupid shirt my brother's wearing. When I was 13, it was clear which side of the equation I was on. That's what best friends are for. Nick is like right there. God, Juby made him so hot. And I had Krista. Krista! Oh my god! My brother? Seriously? I can't help how I feel. You turn into a completely different person. Why don't you try being positive? Mom, I'm gonna write down the next thing you're gonna say. I'm not playing your little games, Nadine. Congratulations. You have all the answers, don't you? No. Which is why I wish I had a mother who would notice. When I was younger, so what did I do to make such a perfect kid, huh? Today, I never need Are you having a problem today, Nadine? Several. I don't really have any friends at the moment. Life isn't fair sometimes, Nadine, okay? You gotta get over it. Don't be awkward. Socialize. Life's about taking risks. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Nick, I like you. I want you to put your mouth on my tits. We can do it in the Petland stock room. I can't send this. No, 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 no. Oh my God, no. So The Edge of Seventeen is written and directed by Kelly Fremont Craig. We have, of course, talked about this individual before because she is also the director of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I do a lot so, of research for the show, so I'm surprised by this new information. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I think actually when we talked about the film adaptation of Margaret, I may have said, yeah, we'll get to talk about this person again, because I was already planning on making you watch this movie. You know what? I'm glad you did. I, as you know, don't like Woody Harrelson at all. Right. At all. Go back and listen to every Hunger Games episode except <laughs> Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which he's not in. <laughs> but he's very tolerable here. 
He is, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I think this is an interesting performance from him. I've seen this movie twice, and he's the character I don't know what to make of each time. Because in some ways, he's the very typical Hollywood trope of cool teacher who doesn't care but also cares deeply and just doesn't always show it in the best ways. But I also think that the way he treats Haley Seinfeld's character Nadine is really troubling. Like, this is a girl who, on this second watch, the most recent time for the pod, I realized she is almost clinically depressed to the point of actual suicide. And for him to be so glib in his treatment of her, it really worried me. So I think, I think, for me, that what's happening here is we're supposed to read his character as being like entirely through her perspective so like is he actually that glib or is that how she receives the things he says but okay you know he's there to show that she gets things wrong all the time right because Mm -hmm. when she shows up at his house and she expects him to be like this like lonely divorcee and in fact he's got a very happy marriage and an adorable little baby and like gosh that baby Oh my god, so cute. And the house just radiates love, right? And it's the exact opposite of what she's expecting. Mm -hmm. So like from a character perspective, I get that. But there are scenes here that made me so profoundly uncomfortable from like a power dynamics perspective. Uh Uh Like really, really upsetting. (laughs) Yeah. And I do feel like that's partially the point of the film. You know, we'll go into the logline in a moment. Let me just quickly run you through the rest of the cast. So Harrelson plays Mr. Brunner, who is her teacher. We've got Haley Lou Richardson as Krista. Of course, we've talked about Haley Lou Richardson on the show a couple of different times. I believe most recently in Unpregnant. Yes, it took me forever to realize that's who I was seeing on the screen. I find her face so likable. Oh, you said the house radiates warmth. And I would argue that Richardson has that same kind of effect where she yeah. just lights things up. It's been exciting to see people discover her. She was in the most recent season of The White Lotus, season two. And I did not like her character, but her as an actor, I think is always delivering A+. plus. Mm, love it. So we also have Blake Jenner as Darian. That's Nadine's older brother. And uh, most people will know him from Glee, the back half of that show. Yeah, I don't. Well, you wouldn't because you didn't watch it. No, I did watch Glee. No, I did. I watched Glee. No, that wasn't what I was going to say. I was going to start to say I don't like his performance. And then I realized I should just let you get through the cast list (laughs) and come back to it. Interesting. Okay, we'll circle back to that. (laughs) And then we have Hayden Setso as Erwin Kim. That's Nadine's rich classmate who has a crush on her. And more or less rounding out the cast is Alexander Calvert as Nick. That is the boy who works in the pet store that Nadine has a crush on and sends what might be the most humiliating dm i have ever seen on the screen too (laughs) too much it was too much but also Mm -hmm. woody harrelson reading it aloud was one of those moments where i was like (sighs) yeah i'd rather die than continue watching this scene unfold (laughs) it's so cringe so much of this movie is either really successful cringe and that's the point or it's so uncomfortable to the point that you want to fast forward because you can't bear it yeah But that's kind of what the purpose of the film is, right? I mean, as you said, we've got Nadine. She's the 17-year-old. She has not recovered from the death of her father four years ago. Mm -hmm. She's still really struggling with her grief. And it does feel like everybody else has just kind of expected her to move on. 
And the thing that sustains her is her friendship with her best friend, Krista, until Krista ends up sleeping with her older brother, whom she resents because she thinks he has a perfect life. And, um, oh, I, I just realized I didn't mention that Nadine's mom is played by Kyra Sedwick. Of course, no, that's the other really big good. person in the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Nadine and her mom do not get along. Well, no, and that's the whole, like, there's this whole key component to the dynamic of the family, right? Which mm-hmm. is that, like in many families with two kids, oh boy. each kid has aligned with a different parent. Mm-hmm. And the problem for Nadine is that, like, the parent who she most related to in the family has died. And yeah. there's nothing that fills in that gap until she develops this friendship with Krista. So it's not just like when your friend dates your older brother, which I dealt with was not fun, but it's oh, when like, really? Oh okay. yeah. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I looked at this and just said, this is a big no, no. Like, yeah, I understand it obviously does happen in real life, but this is the kind of thing where you know Nadine is being irresponsible and she is overreacting when she demands Krista pick her or her brother. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it was like, no, that seems a little valid. It's a horrible dynamic. And I don't know many situations, especially when you're teenagers. Like, I'm sure mm-hmm. in your adulthood, everybody can handle this. But sure. when you're teenagers, something is not going to survive. And it's probably not going to be the sibling relationship that goes up in smoke, right? Like, Mm -hmm. to the extent that it already exists. And that was certainly the case when I went through this around this age. It's not much fun. But it's more for Nadine because Krista isn't just her friend. Krista is her literal only Only friend. friend. (laughs) And her only friend in a world where she literally only had a friend. Before that, she only had her dad. She's not Mm -hmm. somebody who has a lot of people who she can lean on. No. And part of that is because she purposefully distances herself. You know, we see her as a little girl and you're right. You know, she's just being picked on for dressing slightly different. And it's hilariously amusing to me that we try to pretend that Haley Seinfeld is not a gorgeous (laughs) and be incredibly fashionable when she is her 17 year old self. Okay, we'll move on from that. But When she becomes older, it's almost like she develops this thick skin of armor where you don't know whether she truly only has Krista as a friend or she has just been repelling people because Mm -hmm. she's too afraid to let anyone in. Like, that's why the Irwin character is so important, because he's the only one that we ever see even make an attempt. Yeah, yeah. I love Irwin so much. (laughs) Such a good character. I mean... I think this movie can be very confronting and, as we said numerous times already, uncomfortable to watch, but I love a lot of these characters. Me too. And there's something really lovely about Erwin in particular because it would be really easy to make him like this geeky character Mm -hmm. who makes a play for Nadine and isn't successful and is just more of a dork. But actually, like, Erwin's really confident in himself. Mm -hmm. Um, He's really confident in his abilities. And he likes Nadine, but, like, he doesn't need her approval. Mm -mm. He wants to be in a relationship with her. He likes her as a person. But, like, so often this trope would have him being sort of as dependent on her as she is on Krista. And that's not what's happening here. And it's so refreshing. Yeah, like, you're absolutely right. That moment where at the end of the film she... I mean, it happens way too quickly for my taste, but she basically hits rock bottom and Mm -hmm. then 
the very next day she wakes up and has seemingly decided she's going to try to live her life differently. So <laughs> yeah, it's very fast. <laughs> she apologizes to Krista and Darian and wishes them a good day, mostly so that she can go and see Irwin's video. And there's something really satisfying about the way it all comes together. However, quickly it mm -hmm. works but like getting to see herself betrayed on screen realizing oh okay i've been a bit of a dick to this guy he's still very awkward but you know there's that full circle moment where he includes her in the conversation with his friends and we get to see oh okay yeah she can function she can mm -hmm. do this it's just that she needs someone who is going to make her step in instead mm -hmm. of allow her to step out right which is the exact you know it's an exact inverse of what happens at the party with yeah. krista right where krista is very happy to let her just walk away because she wants to not be responsible for her for a hot mm -hmm. minute also krista inviting your best friend who you are in a, a bit of a rocky precarious situation with on what is very clearly a date uh -huh. to a party where she doesn't know anyone when her brother is already resentful of her presence Ooh, it's just, just bad idea it's a good thing that this character is played by Haley lou richardson because otherwise i would probably hate her <laughs> A hundred percent. She makes such bad decisions. So bad. I mean, Darian's like a bad, bad decision. friend alert. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> With Hi. that said, though, I mean, we should acknowledge how insufferable Nadine is. And I, mm -hmm. and I love this movie for delivering on the conversation that you and I have had numerous mm -hmm. times because I think Nadine is the perfect example when people say, oh, you can't have an unlikable female protagonist. Yeah, I think, you know what it is? I, I think when we've had this conversation before, because it's something that I've certainly had to Struggled answer for, is yeah. not liking it. But I think you, you, you need context. And I actually don't think that's gender specific. I also need context when dudes are asking. Sure. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but like, when you have the context for Nadine's character here, she doesn't just lose her dad. She watches her mm -hmm. dad die. It's yeah. a really horrific scene. She's already an outcast. She's already finding it really difficult to just like be in the world. And then she literally watches her dad die when she's 13. Mm -hmm. We have all the context we need for Nadine being prickly, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that like characters can't just, you know, have negative personality traits they totally can but sure. it's a lot easier to go with nadine on this journey mm -hmm. when you're invested and we're invested because we've seen everything that she's been through and it's why i think when mr bruner is so rude to her like there are moments when it's actually really painful and it's because yeah. you want to shake him and be like do you know what she's been through yeah do you know what she's going through right now yeah yeah but I'm imagining a, a different version of this movie, a less successful one, where we try to disguise what is driving her and we reveal closer to the end of the film, mm -hmm. oh, it's because she watched her dad die and she hasn't really recovered. Like, And I think that that would be a huge mistake because, as you said, it's really important that we have gone through this with her so that we know why she's like this, so that we can then tell the story of how does she come out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's about her journey. And as a result, it doesn't matter that we spend large swaths of the time really frustrated with her because mm -hmm. we're very invested already and wanting to see it come to the end. Because we are like, there's moments where she's horrible and like <laughs> so bad. And everything that she does with Nick and everything about the way she treats Erwin in the middle, sort of middle, second part of the movie is mm -hmm. 
deeply <laughs> upsetting. Oh and, you know, yes, Nick is obviously an asshole, but also she puts herself in such a dangerous situation. Mm. And you're so frustrated and you kind of just like you're screaming at the screen. And it's all just a sign of how well Haley Steinfeld has invited us in to this character and like yep. really wanting us to connect. Okay, so I'm glad that you brought this up because I want to unpack the scene in the car with her and Nick. Oh my God. So Nick oh, is yeah. clearly a more popular guy. He's very, you know, removed, distance. She sent him a friend request that he did not respond to. Twice. Twice? Yeah. <laughs> and then she sends him this horrible, very oh like, God. I want to do sexy bad things to you, but like... In a pet land! In a petland store. In a petland, because that's where he works. It's <laughs> so upsetting. Those poor betta fish, they didn't ask for that. It's so, so bad. It's, it's very, so bad. very cringy. But he ends up responding and saying, yeah, we should hang out, which, of course, we all understand yes. means we should hook up. Yes. But she gets into the car and she wants to either pretend or she truly doesn't understand that that is what he's after. So she wants to make small talk. She wants to get to know him. And then he forces himself on her. And this yeah. is a sexual assault. It is a sexual assault. It is. But I really, really like the way the film handles it. Because as much as Nick is clearly a douche nozzle, he goes at her. She yells at him no. And then he basically is pouting and he's going to, you know, dump her and drive off or whatever. And she tries to make up for it by... Aww going oh back and kissing him and trying to make things kind of okay and to me this was so authentically true like this mm -hmm. is what a 17 year old girl who doesn't have a lot of confidence in herself who's very emotionally vulnerable and fragile would do to a boy like this even though you very clearly understand she does not want to have sex with him mm -hmm. and i appreciated that he doesn't give into it like he he does and then she says no and then he gets mad again but I like that he doesn't become a horror movie villain where he attacks her or he does rape her or something like that. Like the way this unfolds to me felt really, really true and just handled with a lot of maturity. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I think it does feel very authentic. It does feel re very realistic. There's a moment where she tries to actually get them all the way back to small talk. She starts asking about like a song on the radio mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And you're just like, what? How? Just How? No. <laughs> what? Are you? No, you can't. Whoa, get out of the car. Get out of the car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And of course she she does eventually. Yes. And she ends up, you know, calling Mr. Bruner, even though you hope that she would call her brother, that she would call her mom. And maybe, Brenna, let's transition over to talk a little bit more about Mona, the Kyra Sedwick character, because you often dislike the way that moms are represented in YA films where they are made <laughs> to be a villain. So yeah. I'm curious how you read this character, because I think in some ways she is a villain. But yeah. as you suggested with Mr. Bruner, it's filtered through Nadine's perspective where she and her mom are just at each other. Like they do not understand each other. Yeah. And I think, you know, again, we have the context of grief here that mm -hmm. helps a lot with this difficult character because because she is a difficult character she's making horrible decisions too yeah. right like she's come to lean on darian too much and it's made it impossible for darian and nadine to actually have a relationship with each other mm -hmm. because the battle lines have really put darian on side with mona and yes. against nadine so those scenes i found really difficult to watch mm -hmm. um 
I think that, you know, this is a mom who wants to understand her kids, but she's not emotionally able. Like she's just not, she's still so locked in her grief over the loss of her husband. And there's this moment where she says, I can't believe my husband left me with this. And mm-hmm. Nadine's like, why don't you ever call him my father? And she's like, because he was my husband. And there's this notion of like, it's actually almost like they're grieving two totally separate people. Yes. Yeah. So they can't come together, right? Mm-hmm. Because they don't really acknowledge the loss. And I think that this is a really common thing in grief. Grief is so personal and private, and it's hard to see how other people are experiencing grief. And it can sometimes feel like you are like giving something up <laughs> by acknowledging that there's like a different relationship or a different way to feel about this person. Mm-hmm. And no one in this family is willing to budge from the positions they've sort of entrenched themselves in. And so they can't move forward. And I, it's really hard to watch. And I want Mona to be a million things that she isn't. But I also think it's really, really authentic what's going on in the family. Yeah, much in the way that we talked about Richardson, it's very strategic casting getting Mm -hmm. Sedgwick in this role, because we like this woman, we've seen her in a billion different things. I think we aren't used to seeing her in I want to say prickly, but I don't think that's quite right because I do think that she's trying her best and she's just really, really struggling. Like she mm-hmm. reads both grief stricken, but also exhausted to me. Yes. Like yes. Sedwick puts on a very not brave face, but you know, the character is often very made up. Like, to Mm -hmm, the point of mm -hmm. almost artifice, like, I am trying to get through the day by playing dress up as somebody who has their together. Mm -hmm. And there's this moment, there's there's a couple of great lines that Sedwick has. One of them is where she says, you know, she picks Nadine up at the party after it has gone badly for her and Krista has abandoned her. And uh, she basically tells Nadine, you know, so I found out that the dentist that I was casually dating, his wife emailed me. So that's Mm -hmm. over. And then she says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home. I'm going to do all my makeup, wear my best dress, and then take it all off and go to bed. Mm. And you just think, that is perfect. That's such a perfect line. And then later on, when she has to drive Nadine to school before Nadine refuses to leave the car and they have to go to work together, (laughs) she says, you know, it might help you if you just accept, like, she basically has a mantra, Mona does. And that mantra is, everyone is as unhappy as me. It's just that they're not showing it. They're better at faking it, I think They're better at faking it. It's one of those lines where you just think, that is a rough line to hear from anybody, but from your parents. In a moment where they're trying to comfort you, quote unquote. That's what she has access to, right? And I think, you know, I'm glad you brought up that scene where she picks her up from the party, because it is a reminder that... Mona is there mm-hmm. for Nadine. Like she's physically present. Like she she does the things she needs to do and she does try to understand Nadine. Mm-hmm. And there's this sense of like, again, we have this filtering through Nadine's perspective. Like there's literally nothing Mona can do, right? No. Is the flip side of it. Like Mona also tries to intervene with the Darian and Krista thing. And she's like, why are mm-hmm. you doing this? Like you're destroying your sister. Like I know you'll do the right thing thinking like um, he's good, which is a horrible thing to do. Don't yeah. get me wrong. She's really emotionally manipulative. <laughs> yes. But it's not that she's not on side with Nadine. It's just that Nadine can't see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so much of that, you know, you 
you open this episode by saying, you know, we're seeing Mr. Brunner through Nadine's eyes. And obviously that's not visually represented in the Mm -hmm. way the film is shot or anything. But I think that's such a right way to read this film. If you struggle to relate to Nadine or you do find her unlikable or difficult, I think obviously that's purposeful. But the bigger thing in the film is that it's how much we don't know of other people because we are so wrapped up in being the hero of our own stories. Like when Nadine apologizes to Darian, she says, you know, I wanted to pretend that I was the only person who had these problems or any problems. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a refreshing insight that unfortunately I don't think I would have ever had at 17. No, But (laughs) so often everything is about us because we're the only ones living our lives. And it's hard Mm -hmm. to remember that everybody else is also going through that same thing, trying to live their life. Yeah. And I think, I think this gets compounded by the family grief because everybody's relationships to Tom have been so different. Like Mm -hmm. this is a family where you can really see that he was playing these roles to all different people in the family. Just a great dad. Yeah. (laughs) But then also very hard to lose him as a result. Exactly. When he disappears, there's no one who can fill that void for the three of them. And there's also no sense that they can come together in their grief because, as Mm -hmm. I said before, they're all clearly grieving a different person. Yeah. Yeah. I love how complex the film is, despite seemingly just to be about a girl who pushes people away and Mm -hmm. makes a bunch of really bad decisions over the course of about a week. Can I give a little shout out to Meredith Monroe showing up as Mr. Bruner's wife in a totally (laughs) unexpected role? I was like, oh, you you still exist and there you are. (laughs) Should I recognize her? Oh my god. Sometimes the fact that you didn't watch Dawson's Creek is just so obvious to me. Okay, there we go. (laughs) I was like, which of the two to three Brenna texts should I draw from? She was, um, she's Pacey's like pre Joey girlfriend, and she's the one who has like these. She has like a mental illness thing in her family, and she had just some iconic late 90s performances in that role. So I haven't seen her in anything in a million years, and I was like squinting at the screen, like, is that who I think it is? is. (laughs) So, shout out to my Dawson's Creek fans listening. There we go. There we go. Well, uh, Brenna, do you want to play some YA bingo for this text? I would love to. Bingo! Not a good bingo. Okay, what have you got? All right, so I definitely want to shout out for good friendships because Mm -hmm. everything that goes on before the friendship (laughs) implodes obviously is very good. Their party night before Krista makes the ill-advised decision to sleep with Darian looks like a lot of fun to me. (laughs) It really does. Minus the puking. The puking's never fun. So much puking. Um, Obviously, we have a female director or screenwriter. Mm Mm-hmm. We do have some CanCon filmed here. This movie, one of the reasons why we didn't do territory for the shooting location like we sometimes do when we don't have mm-hmm. a city is because it was filmed in like six places, but three of yeah. them were in British Columbia. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I definitely think we have coincidental classes happening to a degree. Okay. When, you know, Brunner's the history teacher. Mm-hmm who sort of kind of seems like he's teaching socials. But I think it's yeah. very appropriate that they're doing the lessons on the Civil War while Krista and Nadine's relationship is blowing up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Uh, and obviously stunt casting. Woody Harrelson is a stunt cast. 
Yeah, and I would say Kyra Sedwig as well. Yeah. Uh, okay, I've got an unfortunate sexual awakening for mm. everything to do with Nick. <laughs> I just get uncomfortable when you say his name now. <laughs> so bad. So bad. Oh. Um, it seems like a bit of a stretch to say borrowed time, but because we start at the moment where Nadine walks in and declares that she's going to die by suicide and then we flash mm-hmm. back a week, mm-hmm. we're counting down to the revelation of what has led to this very <laughs> big moment. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I would give the family home house porn. That house is amazing. It's pretty nice, yeah. Maybe we just live in small places, Joe. But every time I see that level of square footage, I'm just like, well, that's a mansion. <laughs> well, don't forget that as a Hollywood production, they would rent someone's large house. So this is probably not representative of what Mona can do on a single income. Yeah, and I can't like, I think she's like a paralegal or something. Yeah, it doesn't look like she has like, I mean, she has a good job. She's yeah. got an office and everything, but it doesn't look like she's a boss or anything. No, no, no. <laughs> well in fact she has to when she has to take uh needing to the office she's like my boss is gonna hate this so you've mm-hmm. got a sense of the level of power she has she could get away with a thing but she's gonna hear about it later <laughs> right yeah question for you would you read nadine as something of a manic pixie dream person hmm. she is a little twee in some of her conventions she totally is but i think we've talked before about how a manic pixie dream person is more about their effect on others than about their traits themselves and one thing i really like about erwin is that he doesn't actually treat her as a manic pixie dream person he's right he's into her but he's not like he hasn't put her on some kind of weird pedestal yeah i also think we have a bunch of almost perfect dates with erwin until nadine screws it up every time (laughs) like (laughs) like in the pool for example or like there's all these moments where it's lovely and then or on the ferris wheel Mm -hmm. um and then nadine is always so quick to push him away in ways that are so upsetting because he's lovely I really enjoy that moment where he tries to make a move in the pool and then she mocks him because he wants to have sex with her and he gets really mad. And I just thought, you know what? This is good. Like, especially when you contrast it to what happens with With Nick, Nick. like it feels like there's a lot of conversations and scenes in this movie that are replicated or they're revised based on what happens afterwards in a way that, you know, a very carefully written film does. Mm -hmm. And I love that his reaction is that he is hurt. Yeah. And it's not at all like what her reaction to Nick is like later. No. No, because what he wants is really something authentic, whereas she sees Nick as like this kind of escape from her crappy Mm -hmm. life, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think I have any more, Joe. No. Yeah, I mean, there's like a certain amount of musicality, but it doesn't dominate in the way that we've seen in a lot of other YA texts. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no like, there's no sort of single song moment I could point to that would that would make me give up that square. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, no queer secondary characters for a film from this era. I sort yeah, of expected. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Yeah. Aside from even Irwin, this movie is pretty standard white fare as yeah. well. More so than even uh, Seventeen again from two weeks ago, Joe, which surprised <laughs> me. So shocking. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So, Brenda, despite this not being a very tropey film, we did manage to eke out a line along the bottom row.
Well, that's excellent news. And also, Joe, mm-hmm. I can tell you that if you want tropes and lines, I think that next week is going to pay off dividends. Because next week, oh boy, we're returning to the Twilight universe. We're checking out mm-hmm. New Moon, Joe. And it's 2009 film adaptation. And um, yeah, that's a thing we're definitely doing. <laughs> you love Stephanie Myers when you remember <laughs> who she is and what she wrote. I forgot about how I couldn't tell her and Stephanie Perkins apart for a while there. (laughs) Rude. Frankly rude. (laughs) So um, that's where we're headed next. If you want to write in about this episode or anything else you hear on the show, you can always find us on the socials at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B Stone My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you'd like to hit us with anything more long form, you know that you can always email us hkhspot at gmail.com and maybe get featured in a mailbag episode. Mm-hmm. Joe. Yes. Um. This is the end of our 17 series. Yes. Two very different takes on 17. I enjoyed both of them. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a fun little exercise. Fun. Uh, So until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Like, it's a good thing that this character is played by Haley. It's a good... (laughs) It's a good thing that this character is played by Haley. It's a good thing that this character is played by Haley Lou Richardson.